Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. The side effects of the war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza is that much of the work of biblical archaeology, especially in that area, and it's a very significant area in terms of biblical archaeology, has to be put on hold. And then all those projects have to be restarted. Some of them may even be covered by new rubble. Well, Christianity Today put out an article, Biblical Archaeology's Top 10 Discoveries of 2023. It's a slow science, but we'll go through those discoveries that made headlines. Dr. Craig Evans is John Bisango, Distinguished Professor of Christian Origins at Houston Christian University and author of numerous books, including Jesus and His World, The Archaeological Evidence. Dr. Evans, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Good to be with you. So how much has the Israel-Hamas war basically stopped or put on hold indefinitely biblical archaeology in that area? Well, you know, it has to stop because uh, it's just too dangerous. And of course, in this area, hopefully it won't be itself bombed. You mentioned in your opening statement that it could get buried under new rubble. That's true. But what would even be worse would be artillery shells, rockets, who knows what, actually striking the place itself. And so that in that case, there'd be destruction, that that'd be the end of it. There would be nothing to put back together. So let's hope that doesn't happen. We don't know a lot yet because nothing really has been reported. It's a new excavation, but it's very, very important. This is a place where it's mentioned in the Old Testament 20 times, Gaza, It's mentioned once in the New Testament, Acts chapter 8. It's where Philip, the evangelist, met the Ethiopian official on his way back to Ethiopia. He shared with him the gospel. Well, Gaza was a very important section of beachfront property, a road, and buildings, and so on. And, of course, it's not a very safe place to excavate, even the best of times. And now, with this war on our hands, who knows But it's an upscale cemetery that they've discovered, and the symbols, the way the sarcophagi have been constructed and so on, all indicate that this this could be very significant. So let's hope the damage is minimal. Let's hope that the war gets over soon. Let's hope that archaeologists can resume their work, and they can then begin reporting, posting photos, and telling us what they're finding. I look forward to it. Another discovery that's listed by Christianity Today is the recovery of ancient Israelite DNA. What are we talking about there? Well, you know, DNA is really helpful in understanding where peoples come from. And, of course, this is totally relevant to a lot of the issues in the Middle East right now as well. You know, in one of these pro-Hamas rallies, 
someone said that the Jewish people need to go back over the ocean where they came from. And what's ironic about that is they obviously don't know their history very well. Palestine is a Latin name, a Roman name for that's based on the Philistine, Philistia. And the Philistines are the ones that came over from this over the sea from the Aegean islands, Greek islands. So people need to know their history better. Well, DNA will help uh, sort that out. We'll have an idea of where migrating peoples came from. I've heard preliminary reports that in keeping with the biblical record, the Israelites are, in fact, Canaanites. You know, when Abraham returned, you know, when he left Chaldea, he's going back to where his own ancestors came from, which is the land of Canaan. And, of course, the Israelites, most of them were in slavery in Egypt, and they returned. So about the 1400s B.C., when Israel is returning to the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, the Sea Peoples, known as the Philistines, are actually arriving in the same area at the same time. And that's what set up the contest between the Israelites, the Philistines, and of course the most famous contest of them all, David versus Goliath. So hopefully DNA will help us sort these things out and understand these migrations more clearly. What kind of uh, evidence of ancient warfare have archaeologists discovered there? Well, you know, some of this is so early, the Calcolithic period, which is, uh, you know, you're getting into um, the 5th and 6th millennia B.C., and that's way, way outside my wheelhouse. But I'll tell you this, anytime we find these kinds of artifacts and get a sense of how our ancient ancestors made tools, used tools, constructed things, made instruments, whether it's weapons of war or other type hunting instruments, whatever it is, it helps us put together the evolution of technology. It helps us get an idea of how far back some of these technologies can go, and then it helps us understand better what's happening in the biblical period. You know, usually in, in our, our kind of research, we're interested in Abraham. We'll go back about 4,000 years. And so, in other words, 2000 B.C., that's when we get really interested. But this this goes way, way back. It's, in, it's 5,000 B.C. and even earlier. But uh, it, it can still have a huge amount of importance for us to understand anthropology, technology, and so on that preceded the peoples that uh, are of great concern to us uh, in later times. What exactly did they discover that um, they, they see as evidence of ancient warfare? Well, most of it would be stone-related. It's, it's, it's prior to the use of metals, so it's not even the Bronze Age yet. And so sharpened weapons, uh, what we would, you know, arrowheads, spear points, things like that. And we just don't know much about what people did. We know they built things, you know, we right there in Jericho, which isn't that far away from Jerusalem. You have a tower that was constructed. Now, it's, it's stone, and uh, the blocks are assembled, and a lot of it is gone now. But this tower, it could be 10,000 years old or older. So it's even older than this uh, find, the Calcolithic find that we're talking about. And so when you find these uh, structures, tools, instruments, whatever, uh, you look at them and, and under the microscope see how the stone was shaped, 
and deduce from that what kind of tools they might have had. But they, they weren't using iron. It just didn't exist. We didn't know how to excavate iron and melt it down or anything like that back in those days. What have archaeologists discovered regarding the city of Antioch? Well, Antioch's, of course, been seriously damaged. Of course, that's not the name of, uh, you know, the Arabic name. Antakya has been badly damaged. Antioch is a very important place because this is, uh, if you look at the map of Turkey, just look to the right and a little bit to the south near the Orontes River. So it's in the southeastern part of today's modern Turkey. And and that's where uh, Christians were first called Christians. Christianity referred to itself as the way, based on Isaiah 40, verse 3, the way of the Lord, make straight, get prepared. So they were called Christians there. And, of course, there have been excavations on again, off again, for a long time at this Antioch. So they were finding traces and ruins and so on. It looked like it was going to be a really good dig. And then uh, last year, it's been uh, 11 months ago, February 6, 2023, a a terrible earthquake occurred. And uh, the old part of the city, including the things they were beginning to unearth, was buried. So it's an, it's on hold. I mean, that's a pretty laconic way of saying it. But so here we are. In fact, you know, Todd, I reviewed these 10 finds that were listed as the top 10 by Christianity Today. And I got to say, we've done this program several times, several years, where we talk about the top 10. And it seems like every year, the top seven or eight of the top 10 are just so exciting. This is a kind of a bummer this time. We've got Gaza getting blown up. We've got an earthquake burying things. This has been an unusual past year. We've been climbing out of the hole of the uh, COVID and getting back to work, getting the excavations back underway. And 23 is going to, in my mind anyway, it stands out as an odd year. I'm hoping this new year, 24, will be a much better one. So we just don't know yet what Antioch will show us, but uh, I'm sure when they're able to get back to work and excavate things, it will be exciting. But my goodness, that was a devastating earthquake. The report here says 35,000 people dead at that location and elsewhere when buildings collapsed and everything. So we'll just have to wait and see. Well, uh, speaking of disappointment, There was a site, the steps near the Pool of Siloam, that really were just, had everyone very excited, and they thought that they could find more of the pool and of the steps, but apparently they didn't. Tell us that story again. I think we've talked about it before. Yeah, we have, and you know, that was one of the biggest letdowns. I heard uh, some time ago that they got permission, they purchased the land, so it was, oh, I'm guessing, you know, it's like in places 10 feet deep of soil and debris. And there were actually, it was an orchard of trees above it. And I've been there not long after it was discovered. In in 2004, workers, it was just city workers, there was a leaking pipe, large pipe. And so water was seeping down the hill. And this is below the Temple Mount area. And so workers were there. There was a backhoe. And fortunately, nearby was Eli Shukron, who's an archaeologist, and he could tell by the sound the backhoe's bucket was making, dragging over stone. 
He looked, he could tell that it was a perfectly flat, level stone that the uh, backhoe bucket was dragging against. And he ran up to the uh, driver, waving his arm, said, stop. And he jumped down to where he was digging. And sure enough, there it was, a flat surface, dressed stone. And he said, this is antiquity. Just stop digging. Well, that's the part we found, and uh, many of us, you know, we've been there many times. We've seen it. Now that settled where the Pool of Sloan really was located. It wasn't the medieval pool that tourists have been seeing for generations, but this was the real Pool of Sloan. John chapter 9, where Jesus heals the man born blind. This is an exciting find. So they excavated as much of it as they could, but it went right up against a property line, privately owned. And so when you go there, you can see the steps that lead down to the bottom of the pool. And then artists were saying, this is probably what it looked like. And hopefully someday we can excavate the rest of it. Well, that someday finally came in 2023. And they removed the earth. And guess what? The stones are all gone. So the part that was found by accident in 2004 is the only part that survives, as best as we can tell. And that was a big letdown. So they went to all this trouble and expense. Then they excavate tons and tons and tons of earth and, and rubble, and it's gone. And, and this was a case where it's no real mystery, actually. But in antiquity, people would often cannibalize exposed structures, collapsed structures, pick up the stone. I mean, that's a lot less work than cutting the stones out yourself. And so you cart them away and use them to build something else. And apparently that's what happened to a large portion of the Pool of Salome. So what a letdown. All that trouble, go to all that work, and instead of finding the rest of the pool, we don't find anything. Dr. Craig Evans is our guest. We're talking about Biblical Archaeology's top discoveries of 2023 when we come back. Psalm 86, at least a piece of it, is found on top of a desert mountain, and David and Solomon are gaining their stature. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. lutheranpublicradio.org. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Defending the Faith, Teaching the Truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, 
the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Here's a reminder to bookmark Ad Crucem in the new year, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Ad Crucem provides high-quality, Christ-centered greeting cards, art, jewelry, posters, church banners, confirmation gifts, and more. A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. We're discussing biblical archaeology's top discoveries of 2023. Dr. Craig Evans is our guest. John Bazzano, a distinguished professor of Christian origins at Houston Christian University, and author of numerous books, including Jesus and His World, The Archaeological Evidence. Dr. Evans, the next one that they're listing here is Psalm 86, the top of a desert mountain, dating to the 6th century A.D. What's significant there? Well, anytime we find a scripture, either quoted word for word or paraphrased, that is significant. It tells us what scriptures were known and how the wording was and how they were, you know, the scripture was being interpreted. This one's fascinating because if you look up Psalm 86, it begins a prayer of David, and then the very first verse is, Incline thy ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And, uh, and so here we find in, in Greek, and I, I'm looking at the actual inscription, it's, it's probably 5th century, something like that, maybe 6th century, and uh, it, it says, Jesus Christ, guard me, for I am poor and needy. And so that's interesting. And so instead of saying, O Lord, I am poor and needy, it's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is understood as the Lord. And of course, in Psalm 86, the Lord is Yahweh. So it, it's, uh, it's an interesting paraphrase. It reflects high Christology also. And so the wording is very similar. And so someone has taken this psalm and has turned it into a prayer addressed to Jesus himself. It's a beautiful location, by the way. It's, the, uh, it's a fortress. It's at Hyrcania. It's a fortress on top of a mountain overlooking the Dead Sea. I've seen it from below. I've never actually entered it. Now that I've seen the excavations and the pictures that they're uncovering, it's very, very scenic. I think I'll, may, I'll go to the trouble to go next time I'm in the Dead Sea area and go up and visit it. So anyway, I think that is an important discovery. It, it sheds more light on the Byzantine era, the period of 5th, 6th, 7th century, the churches and things like that that were built by the Greeks in the Holy Land at that time. But it is a very important discovery. There is a lot of interest in King David and his son Solomon in biblical archaeology. Talk about the kind of the resurgence of that work. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics, and that's because it's refuting the minimalists who have long maintained the idea 
that David and his son Solomon were basically just glorified tribal chieftains, that Jerusalem was a very, very small city, that their own kingdom wasn't much, it didn't comprise much territory. And we've discussed this topic before because the archaeology continues as the work in and around Jerusalem continues to show that, in fact, Jerusalem was a significant city 3,000 years ago, that it was a major kingdom, that the biblical narrative that you find in 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and then also in the Chronicles, is based on fact, not legend. This is not King Arthur's stuff, but it's describing what was a reality. The kingdom stretched as far north as southern Lebanon, as far south as the Sinai, and east and west from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to actually beyond the Jordan into what would now be the country of Jordan to the east. So how do they know that? Well, we have found cities that at one time were capital cities with the bureaucracy, with the palace, with major temples and all of that for certain kinds of kingdoms, whether it's Babylonian or Persian or Assyrian or whatever. And so we learn it's called typology. The bigger the kingdom, the more building space, the more administration. This is what you do so you can administer a kingdom of this size. So Jerusalem fits that. So Jerusalem is not a city, a tiny little city with a tiny little palace and administrative complex, but rather significant in size, and it matches the proportions that the biblical narratives describe. And so this ongoing archaeology continues to show that. And, uh, and of course, carbon-14, dating things and finding out, oh, this actually goes back further than we realized. And so it's establishing, I think, the biblical narrative that you have about King David establishing a kingdom of a certain size and Solomon making it even better and enlarging it. So I think this is really important. And by the way, David and Solomon, they're extremely important figures in in the imagination and memory of Israel right on into the time of Jesus and beyond. And so Jesus appeals by name, refers to David and Solomon in his own teaching. Jesus is regarded as the son of David, which implicitly compares him to Solomon. So this is really important stuff for lots of reasons. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot more like this in the years to come. Is that minimalist viewpoint among archaeologists on its way out? I think so. It can only withstand so much embarrassment. And uh, and this has been going on for uh, more than 30 years now. It all started, in my mind anyway, in 1991, when the House of David inscription was found at Tel Dan, which is immediately south of Lebanon. And here you have a Syrian inscription dating to about 800 or so B.C., referencing the House of David. Well, how in the world, why would an enemy of ancient Israel acknowledge the existence of David and a dynasty called House of David if David was a myth and didn't even exist? I think that's when the big setbacks began for the minimalists, because you might remember 30 plus years ago, they were saying David didn't even exist. He was like a like a King Arthur character. It was just some kind of a mythology. And of course, it, now they've, they've conceded, okay, David, he did exist, so did Solomon. They're conceding, I guess there was a united kingdom, north and south. 
and now they're being forced to concede, yes, I guess it was larger, it was more advanced, it is a lot more like what the Bible has said it was all along. And so, yeah, I think I, I think a lot of this minimalism is going to just disappear. Tell us about this mud brick arch that dates from the Canaanite time. Well, I'm aware of the uh, excavation at Tel Shimron. It's huge. It's almost 50 acres of what had been cities. And Tel's, just to remind everybody, a city gets built on top of a collapsed city, whether it collapsed from earthquake or war. And you get these layers, like a layered cake, and it creates this mound, or it's like a hill, artificial hill. I know the archaeologist who is at work there, and, and of course, they, they have squares, they dig here, they dig there, and so on. They don't always dig in the same place year after year. And you can't excavate the entire thing. Even after 50 years, there'd still be more to dig up. But uh, So it's a very significant thing, and this arch is unusual. And so I don't think we know what it is. In fact, that's what the report says. Nobody really quite knows yet what this is. Sometimes in antiquity, structures were built, and then they were covered. It's called a tumulus. Sometimes it does relate to a tomb. Alexander the Great, you know, his father, uh, Philip II, you know, he was cremated, his bones were gathered up, put in a box, and then there was a special burial vault, and then it's covered. And just by accident, it, it was uh, discovered many years ago, about 50 years ago. And it's the same thing. You get this arch and a door. So right now, I'm thinking it could be related. It could be a burial vault, but it's it's just too early to say. So I look forward, probably it'll be in the next year or so, We'll get some reports about what this structure is, but I find it fascinating. There is uh, also further work being done on a site that we have discussed several times, and that's Bethsaida. What's going on there on the Sea of Galilee? Well, you know, I have good friends on both sides of this debate. Uh, Rami Arav, who's been working at the north end higher above, about a mile or so to the north and uphill, overlooking Araj, and he's convinced that Bethsaida is up on this hill. And then, of course, I know Steve Notley, who's working at the site near the shoreline. He's convinced that the real Bethsaida were Peter and his brother Andrew and their friend Philip, three men who became part of Jesus' 12 disciples, where they would have tied up their fishing boats. And so, and of course, they could both be right. The original village at the shoreline and then maybe the heights, as it were, up above, behind them, maybe both scholars, both archaeologists, correct, I don't know. But it is clear in my mind, I know Steve, I've heard him make presentations, I've reviewed some of the evidence, he's got to be right, that at least the village at the time of Jesus and Peter and Andrew, I think he has located it at the North Shore, uh, whatever we are to make of the heights uh, behind the village and uphill. So this is a very significant thing. They have a lot of work to do yet. The work has only been going on a few years, but I think they really have found the right place. Now, I don't know why people are talking about this question about, well, where did Peter live anyway? Did he live at Bethsaida or did he live at Capernaum? Well, he lived at both places. His mother-in-law lived at the house at Capernaum. So I suspect Peter himself was born and raised at Bethsaida, and he married a woman, 
who was from Capernaum, and that explains that connection. And so when Jesus decided to headquarter Capernaum, that was the house they stayed at. And I think they actually have found the house of Peter and his mother-in-law and where Jesus stayed. And so I think we now have both houses that belonged to Peter in one way or another. And I think that's very important. So we just have a lot more work to do at Bethsaida. And uh, I wish Steve Notley and his team of volunteers uh, well, and I'm sure they'll continue to do good work. What is this moat they eventually figured out it must have been in Jerusalem? Oh, that just blew me away. When I think moat, I think uh, the medieval period. I think of European castles and things like that. This has really surprised people. I've seen part of it before, but I just assumed it was either from a later period or part of the natural formation of the rocks. And apparently that is not so. And so uh, it looks like it goes way, way back. Archaeologists, it actually says in the report, they're mystified. And I am too. So hopefully we can sort this out and find out what's going on. I mean, is it really a moat? Is that what Was that the purpose? I didn't know that that was done in the biblical period. So this is, this is a big surprise. If this were a medieval castle that dated back only a thousand years, nobody would be surprised. But this is unusual. It goes way back. I think just more work needs to be done. We need to find some artifacts that might give us an idea of the purpose of this uh, moat, if that's what it is. That is quite surprising. Dr. Craig Evans is Bizzagno, John Bazzagno, Distinguished Professor of Christian Origins at Houston Christian University. He's author of numerous books, including Jesus and His World, The Archaeological Evidence. You can purchase this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Evans, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Dr. Nancy Almodover joins us on the other side of the break. We're going to talk about the history of modern Pentecostalism. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start. The Foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue in Titus with qualifications for elders, Rebuke them sharply, sound doctrine, grace of God, and the washing of regeneration. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Talk radio for the thinking Christian. You're listening to Issues Etc., 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org.